Hello, good morning, how are you? And welcome along to 90 Men Talks. It's all about the WSL today. Lovely to have you with us. If you're just new, please subscribe. Don't hesitate. Give us a like as well. Uh, pleased to see we've got Ali Ramplin with us from 90 Men. And as always, familiar faces around these parts. Rachel and Sophie from Girls on the Ball. Ladies, how are we doing? We well? Yeah, Not much to talk about eh, this week. <laughs> wow, um, so much to get through, but I want to start by asking any of you who are joining us just now, if you were one of the lucky uh, Chelsea or Liverpool fans to be at King's Meadow on Sunday to see six minutes of Dancing on Ice, um, then please get in the comments and, and let us know your thoughts on what happened that day. Uh, if you did get a hot dog at the end of it, just to put the cherry on top, and if you got home safely as well, um, it would be good uh, to hear from you and again please like and subscribe to the channel um it feels right that we start with the big freeze yes um it continues um just a day that went from bad to worse and overall i think we all feel a little bit embarrassed at what happened um ali can you can you give us your thoughts on it first please yeah well i went to the game and just baffled it went ahead in the first place to be honest um like showed up sort of an hour before kickoff and they've got these big covers over the pitch they're sort of scraping ice off the pitch, leaf blowing ice off the pitch and yeah it just wasn't, it was obvious it wasn't fit to play on then, I don't know why they persevered and just I mean the fact that there was no pitch inspection the day before seems a bit baffling as well and just it's sort of I think it's the lack of foresight like it was minus temperatures, minus temperatures overnight, it had been freezing a week, King's Meadow wasn't this mm. like freak microclimate like obviously <laughs> the pitch was going to be a state and yeah yeah, it's just yeah. I don't know, I don't really know where the pressure came from to play the the fixture, but yeah, it's a bad look. So many areas to look at. You know, why did the game play? Whose fault is it? Should Chelsea be playing at Stamford Bridge when it's available? Do they deserve under soil heating? Uh, there's a lot of things we can look into. You both thoughts? Uh, oh well, for the benefit of those who are maybe living under a rock, Chelsea played six minutes of football on a pitch that was clearly not playable. Um, my biggest frustration. Like you said, Ali, not having a, a, a check the night before. Mm -hmm. Spurs cancelled the game the day before. They were playing Leicester. There's not some massive change in climate from east to west London. Mm -hmm. um, so they, there was foresight there. Um, they had a 9.30 pitch inspection where the pitch was deemed unplayable. Mm. And I just don't understand the point of having a pitch inspection that you're going to ignore the result of. They just waited until closer to the time to have another pitch inspection. Mm. You know, So for me, it was clear that the safety of the players was not the priority. On, some, on Sunday and I think that's my biggest gripe about the whole thing is that we allowed players to go out and play on that and it looked so like Aaron Cuthbert went down and took a hard knock um, and it shouldn't take that it's it just it kind of it kind of echoes how we act around women's football a little bit for me it's reactive and it's not proactive and we shouldn't have to have mm. things happen before we decide to make you know productive change yeah I mean I'm fuming I think because I think we all are um, is just not what you want to see in the women's game. It's not what it deserves. Um, you know, these players, they perform to the best of their ability. They train hard. They are professional. And when something like that happens, it looks amateur. Um, it makes the league look amateur. It makes everything that everyone is working so hard for look amateur. Um, and you know, for me, all of these players' teams should be playing in the best stadia, best facilities. Um, you know, they deserve that. They deserve to play there. And there should be no excuses anymore from clubs that can afford it to put their teams on in the best facilities possible. 
I'm so glad you said this early um, because I watched the press conference yesterday with Emma Hayes on this not just being a Chelsea problem. Um, of course, why was the referee pressurised to make the game start? Where were the FA in the whole situation to offer advice and guidance and make sure that it wasn't started? But um, I, I instantly can go, look and go, Chelsea can afford under soil heating. Todd Bowley has spent half a billion since he walked through the doors there. And he went to visit Chelsea back in September, the women's facilities, and we've all been there, haven't we? They are chucked down the back and, and, and they're happy there. I've not heard many gripes about that. You know, you've got the best manager, you've got the best players, but why have they not got the best facilities? We know Reading have. This is, yeah, this is my point that I've been saying quite a lot over the last few days is that the two teams in the league with the least resources, well, Leicester, but to more of an extent, Reading, they play in their big stadium every week. And there's no mention about the cost of that or the undersaw heating that has to be turned on and that. We don't have any queries about that. And they have the least resources. And then when, as soon as Chelsea play, we, we start arguing about whether, or discuss, debating about whether they should be playing at Stamford Bridge or not and why they shouldn't be playing at Stamford Bridge. There's no excuse for me. They, sh they should be playing at Stanford Bridge. Yeah, well the, done, Sophie. The argument against that, or that will crop up, I think, is that it doesn't... If you've got a, a men's club to lean on that has facilities like that, that's great. But if we're looking further down the pyramid and you look at some championship teams, it is something that needs to be addressed. Is that if you've got a club like, say, London City Lionesses who don't have a main stadia to fall back on, what happens if, if, if they, they, they get promoted, is that the reason they don't earn their spot after winning a, a league, stuff like that. But it does need to be addressed in terms of, this is, the, like you said, this is the top league of women's football and people have been saying, it happens down the pyramid, it happens in men's football down the pyramid. Know. We know that, mm -hmm. but this is the top league and it yes. should be treated as a top league. So there's, the facilities that they have should not be freezing at zero degrees. Mm. But I think mm. the argument to that is that that's maybe where the resources that the FA does have mm. should go. You know, Chelsea can pay for their undersaw heating, they can pay for it to be put on at Stamford Bridge. They have the resources to do that. They don't need to rely on the FA to help them out. So maybe the FA's resources should go to the clubs where they don't have a men's team attached to them, um, where they need to help putting in undersaw heating. And if you're going into like refereeing and stuff, VAR, if you have it at Stamford Bridge every week, VAR is already there. And that would mean you'd only need to, in the top league, you'd only need to put VAR into Reading Stadium and the cost is mass massively reduced, right? So it's, it's um, I just think we make excuses a lot about how we're not going to fill the grounds or um, the fans, the appetite isn't there yet. We have a problem in this country that we don't have mid-range stadiums. We don't have 10,000-seater stadiums. So you have to go from your King's Meadow of what, four or 5,000 to your 30, 40,000-seater stadiums. And actually, if you just have a bit of long-term thinking and go, well, yeah, maybe the first year we'll get 10,000 every game. And then you build it to 20,000 or 25,000. And actually, if you're aiming, your ambition is to fill 40,000-seater stadiums, it's going to be a lot of work, yeah. But you have to sign up to that work to, hmm. to get there. Yeah, and, th and that's it. The, the plan is that they are going to get there. Um, and there's been, I don't know how, how you feel about this, Ali, but um, the, the reaction that comes from all over, and I don't know if this is the feminist in me, and I don't intentionally mean to come off like that, but I do feel there's a lot of men who are Chelsea fans going, why should we pay for it? 
And I'm like, it's not coming out of your pocket, love. Keep your pants on. But it's your club. Why would you not want to see Chelsea women flourish? Because you are a Chelsea fan. This is this is your club. We are 90 men. We don't keep, you know, Marco in another room because he's a man today. You know? Yeah, I think it's it's just bizarre. Yeah, I think Rachel Corsi made a really good point on Twitter when I think Miedema t- tweeted about why aren't we playing in the men's stadiums? And, you know, Rachel Corsi said, well, they're the club stadiums. And that's, yes, exactly. that's what they should be. And yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talked about, I think you make a really good point about Reading and Leicester playing in, in their main stadiums. You had Birmingham as well last season when they, you know, the lack of resources that have been at Birmingham for so long. You know, we know Carla Ward spoke about that for ages, but they, they played in at St Andrews as they were getting relegated. They're a championship club and they play at St Andrews. And yeah, if a club like they like Birmingham can do it, I don't see why that can't be replicated across mm. the WSL. And, and even like, you look at Bristol tonight, they um, mm. drew, they got through to the Continental Cup quarterfinals last week realised the demand was there for their tickets they didn't cap off the tickets they were like let's try and move it to Ashton Gate and they're playing Ashton Gate tonight against Manchester mm. City you know that's proactive thinking for, on the behalf of the yeah. club and willingness to you know really try and attract as much attention and, and audience as possible to the game and not trying to limit it to a certain level um, and it takes willingness on the club it's on the clubs to do that yeah. it's not on anyone else to be honest yeah. it's, it's the clubs to be able to go we have that ambition and we know the demand is there because of what happened in the summer or because the game is just growing um, and we need to match that ambition and that demand. Or again, maybe stop waiting for the proof. The proof is there and this is what I've been saying about women's football is it's the same at major tournaments. You often see them saying, we didn't expect so many fans, mm-hmm. we didn't expect the, the need for this so we put them in smaller stadia, in 10,000-seater stadium in a major tournament. You know. Expect it. Start like start buying into women's football and expecting it to grow rather than waiting for it to grow and then trying to react to that demand. Yeah. Slightly off topic, but even like at the World Cup, the opening game in Sydney yeah. has now moved to the bigger stadium, which I think is a capacity of eighty three thousand yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I th- why did you budget that to forty thousand? Like it's nearly more Irish than Australians in Australia. <laughs> Very like true. how could you not predict that? coming yeah mm. um i think we're we're obviously on the same boat it's um it's uh, fights and fires that women in football will continue uh wrestling for quite some time um but i feel that personally the amount of times i've visited the emirates this season this last few months mm. to see arsenal play there something's right there between the communication between the men's and the women's you know it's not it's, it's arsenal you know they are starting to lead that way that we can play here as often as we can whether that's the Mikel arteta effect in terms of he ripped the whole thing up and starts again it is working and it's starting to feel like one club beth mead god love her lost her mum very very recently the men making sure that they gave her that tribute that they gave her that love and support that the club would offer I want to see this from all clubs now in the WSL, and that's not been money involved. That's just been a club. That's a team. There's no iron team, people. <laughs> I often say that I think Arsenal are now leading the way in women's football. I mean, you've got what the chairman or CEO came out and said, we want all of Arsenal. Our aim one day is to have all of Arsenal women's games at the Emirates. We want it to be Arsenal Stadium, not the men's stadium. Um, and you've seen that this season, and the fact that you know, well, they've played there eight times already, I think. Yeah, yeah. And at least four of them have had over 40,000. Mm, totally. And even the, even the Champions League games, which are midweek and traditionally harder to sell, they've had 10,000 in the stadium. So it's working. They're, they're, they've got a real ambition and a pathway to get there. 
And yeah, they might not have every single game there on the, this season, but their ambitions certainly to have every single game in the Emirates. Yeah. I really enjoy that I've been to the Emirates more than I have Meadow Park, and I love maybe some Meadow Park, but <laughs> it is a special occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want that for Chelsea women, I want that for Emma Hayes. The I conditions want... are better. Oh, absolutely. all around from, from media to fans to players. Mm-hmm. In general, the conditions overall are just better. Mm-hmm. So much more accessible that, as well, like yeah. in terms of public transport. and Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like Leicester, Willie Kirk at Leicester said the same thing. Like, they feel at home in the King Power. It's their home, um, and it's decorated for them. You know, when they walk down the tunnel, they've got the pictures of the women down down as they go out onto the pitch. Um, it's the it it just feels comfortable for them, mm. and it's not a big shock when they go into a big stadium. Now. When you look at a club, say like Lewis, who are smaller and independent, they capitalise on that community. They really, really pull in the community, make it attractive to the local community, to Lewis fans. And clubs with bigger fan, you know, amount of fans and bigger resources should be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Something that Casey Stoney, I did an interview with Casey Stoney last season, and she said what really struck her at San Diego is because in the NWSL, there are no men, men's clubs attached to their women's clubs, so they actually really have to do the, the work to go out into the community. They have a whole lot of community projects going on. They basically knock on doors, I think, at, at points in time just to get the, the community aware of what's going on. Mm. And they moved into the, the big stadium at the end of last season, which holds something like 40,000 people, I think. Wow. So their ambition is there, but they actually do the work on the ground and they can't rely on... I don't want to pick out Manchester United, but just an example, the brand of United. I think sometimes we look at the brand of the men's clubs in this country and go, well, it's kind of a bit easier. Like They'll come because it's Manchester United. The badge will do the work. Mm-hmm. But that, actually, not to say people aren't doing the work. They no, are. No, no, they mm-hmm. are doing the work. But it, um, it's more, you have to be more specific, I think, and actually do the work on the ground to try and get, get people into the stadium Absolutely. aware of what's going on. Absolutely. Um, hopefully we're going to see more of this moving forward. I also look and go... That happens to a team like Chelsea and Emma Hayes is the character who will speak up and make sure things are addressed or make people take note and it's just getting that visibility and talking about it more that shouldn't have to be done but we'll hopefully see some change moving forward. Um, other games that were called off as well on the weekend, Spurs against Leicester and that was postponed early doors um, and then on the shortly after um, what happened against Chelsea and Liverpool, Brighton and Arsenal was cancelled that evening as well. A lot of um, things will be hindered from these games being postponed as well. Who's going to be affected? What happens? Chelsea and Arsenal are going to be affected. You know, they've got Champions League to play. Now, you do have to factor in they've come into some of these competitions later than other teams. So that's, you know, somewhat useful, I suppose. But it's just another example of how the, the schedule starts to get a bit squashed after Christmas. And we've got a World Cup in the summer. We're already finishing quite late, what, end of May? You know, that's quite late to, to finish. I think it was finished earlier last season. Yeah, we normally finish like 15th. Middle of May, yeah. So it's already quite a jam-packed schedule. So it's not it's not ideal to be having postponements like this, especially for those clubs, because they will have more fixtures. Yeah. Shout out to Lotte Wubin-Moy, though, because oh. what a class act. Class player, class act. She's yeah. just a class human being, I think. Um, for those that don't know, she when they realised that the, the game was going to be cancelled or postponed, um, she, went, she rang up a bar in Crawley, where all of the Arsenal fans were, and put money behind the bar for them to enjoy the men's Arsenal-Manchester United game. Yeah. With. And I just think that shows 
the kind of person that she is who mm-hmm. really is in touch with what's going on in the women's game, what needs to improve, and also her fan base. Yeah, I mean, you're right, it's then the community spirit there. Yeah, yeah. I have to say a lot of time, but Molly's brilliant at that. Remember, mm. um, last season in the opening day of the season, she did like she had shirts and then did like a little treasure hunt around about the Emirates. <laughs> I was like, great idea. Go on, a lot of you creative genius. I mean, you also had Emma Hayes promising hot dogs as well to, to everyone. <laughs> Liverpool fans will have to come back down again this weekend for the FA Cup against They are back this weekend. So I wonder if they'll get their hot dogs. It's just, it's, it's a nice recognition to fans, isn't it, the effort the fans have made. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one game that wasn't affected, funnily enough, was that game, uh, Reading against Manchester United, because Reading, of course, play at the Select Carleason Stadium um, and they have their under... Soil heat, magic. Um, Manchester United leaving at last minute. Ali, I was on the edge of my seat there. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that Rachel Williams played as much normal time as Chelsea and Liverpool. And that's, <laughs> yeah. um, Very good point. Yeah, and yeah, it's a brilliant goal. Um, and yeah, I think sort of Manchester United have been certainly at the start of the season known as quite a sort of a fast starting team, a sort of first half team who sort of maybe faded a bit in the in the second half. And last season, last season as well, the number of late goals they conceded sort of ultimately cost them a place in the Champions League. But yeah, you've got a late goal against Reading, and the the late goals against Arsenal as well could be a, a big factor for them this mm-hmm. season. I think. Mm. I, I was there. We were there. It was a sucker punch for Reading. Um, they played. To, Manchester United did start fast, um, and Reading I thought did quite well to absorb that pressure and kind of find their feet a little bit. And they grew into that first half and had chances of their own. Um, Mary Earps was pulled into a number of good saves in both the first and second half. Second half, I think, was the 80th minute where she pulled off a top-class save. Um, So, yeah, I did think Reading might hold out and get the draw, and I feel for them because you don't get points for playing well and losing. You know, a table doesn't reflect the fact that you took Man United right to the death, Mm -hmm. um, which is, is really, really hard. But Mark Skinner spoke about the importance of that experience they need to know how to win games like that they need to know they can yeah. they can wait until the final minute and still get the win because it did feel like they were trying too much in front of goal they were passing so much trying to do the fancy work and then Rachel Williams came on ran at the defense <laughs> you know danced around a few tackles and just shot at goal put it on target um, which is what they were failing to do and it, and it paid off yeah, yeah. I think uh, Reading sort of go under the radar because of the results that they have that haven't gone their way this season. But actually, in every single game, they've competed. And sometimes, yes, they might find themselves 3-0 down by half-time, but they will always come back in that mm-hmm. second half. Um, and they really gave United a run for their money. They were finding the spaces that you wouldn't expect to space, uh, find. Um, they were playing because they had a diamond in midfield that drew their left back in. So Emma Harris down the right was just running away. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as they got the ball over the top of the midfield, she was free, free to break into the box, and it was just that lack of um, clear-cut finishing at the end of it mm. that you know they managed. And good goalkeeping. Goal. And good goalkeeping. Mm. Yeah. Um, and just a shout out to Kelly Chambers because she she got 150 uh, games in charge at the weekend, and I think that just speaks to everything that she is, and she's been at Reading since she day dot. Um, she is Reading through and through, and she loves that club, and I think she deserves all the credit for what she's done there with such few resources. Yeah. Um, mm. You know. You never really worry about them going down. You know they're not going to win the title, but they're always going to be there. Um, and they compete every time. And yeah. They're well-drilled. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about, like, in terms of turbulence off the pitch, like, there was a lot made of Chelsea last season when there was the sort of takeover and stuff and the impact that would have on the women's team. But, like, the Reading men's side, you know, they had points deductions last season and everything, and, yeah, the women's team have just got on with it mm-hmm. year after year. And, yeah, I think if she keeps them in the division as well, like... 
manager of the season. Like she does an amazing job there. Well, yeah, big statement to make. Um, also a huge achievement for Mary Earps, uh, the first goalkeeper in the WSL to reach 50 clean sheets. She has not dropped any sort of standard since the Euros, has she? She's, no. she's almost gone up again. Yeah, and she, I spoke to her afterwards about it. She's obviously typically very humble about it but she also said the fact that she's achieved that at this stage in her career and she's you know got another few years left in her how many more clean sheets is she going to get but she also rightly pointed out that it's not easy to keep clean sheets in this league she's they're playing the 11th you know second from bottom team and she had to work hard right at the end to keep them out um so she's right it's not easy um i think man united though have one of the best defenses in the league if not the fourth best in europe so <laughs> I think that's down to her, obviously down to the defence in front of her, but it's also down to her keeping those clean sheets. Mm. She's the best goalkeeper in the world right now. Wow. That's, okay. That's yeah. my bold statement. <laughs> I don't I think that's that bold. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the last, I just cannot remember her making a mistake. Like, I can't remember the last time she... Don't jinx it. <laughs> but also, <laughs> like, for me, when watching, I, I asked Mark Skinner about this at the weekend, watching her when she was younger, she would, she always had the skill. But sometimes the inconsistency came in and she'd lose concentration. There was always going to be a minute in the game when she lost concentration. Uh, when she played for Bristol and places like that, she's eradicated that from her game. The skill has improved, obviously, but her mindset is completely different. And she has that swagger about her. We all talk it's about that a lot. The swagger. Mm -hmm. But she also is switched off on for the full 90, 90 mm -hmm. plus minutes. And um, she never wavers. And I think that's quite remarkable to see that development. In her. It may seem silly. You'd think, well, of course you're switched on. It's your job. But I've played in goal in hockey and it's a, it, it's a similar experience <laughs> where all the play could be down one end of the pitch and then suddenly you have to pull off yeah. this worldly save she, she pulled off in the 80th minute. Like that could have completely just turned the game on its head and she had to be like fully switched on for all of those moments, not just a bog standard save, like a proper diving mm. tip around the post kind of mm. save and that that's what yeah makes you the next level. Absolutely, some big players at Manchester United just now, um, but shout out to Media Earps, give us a like for Media Earps, if you haven't subscribed already, do so now and leave us a comment kindly. Uh, Manchester City won, Aston Villa won, what is it about Aston Villa that they're breaking down Manchester City, just it's a, it's a massive point for them. Aston Villa played so well, um, they cut out, they know that City like to play down the wings and they just marked Chloe Kelly out of the game, to be honest. She didn't have her best game, Lauren Hemp didn't have her best game either. And they just utilised that space through the midfield that, that allowed them to, so Lucy Staniforth, Jordan Nobbs, Kenza Daly had lots of space to roam and they just disrupted the play. And Manchester City, you know, I think there was a point in the second half where Alex Greenwood had the ball at the back and literally just turned in circles. She had no idea what to do ahead of her because there's just no options. Um, so I think they really wore them down. They mm. ran out of ideas. Um, and they needed, I think, a bit more guidance from the bench, Manchester City, in terms of what they needed to do to change the game. Yeah, okay. I do sometimes worry about the kind of game plan sometimes at Man City. It sometimes feels like players are forced to... And obviously, you know, it's their job on the pitch to be problem solvers. But, you know, there are times where you'll have players kind of coming up and looking left and then looking right and then looking left again. And it's it sometimes feels like there's a lack of a clear game mm. plan. And if you're, there needs to be a game plan if your wingers are marked out of the game. And that's going to happen because they're, they're your key outlets, right? So that was probably a bit of a frustration for Man City. I mean, their goal was fantastic. The ball, mm. through ball from, yeah, but the through ball from Bunny Shaw was beautiful. We always talk about her in the box, but what she does around her goal scoring as well. Um, the vision for that goal and obviously Cassianos uh, finishing it was great but Kirsty Hansen's goal came from Rachel Daly having so much time and space to pick out that pass there was nobody pressuring her in the midfield 
um, a bit of a, a I'm not even sure Kirsty knows how that ball went in the goal but <laughs> she scored and that's what, that's what counts and it was an immediate response as well which mm-hmm. is maybe not something you'd have seen of Aston Villa of old there's a real confidence there a belief in the squad I think beating Man City right at the beginning gave them that edge, it yeah. set them up they, mm-hmm. they knew they could beat anyone on their day and, and Carla Ward has some really well drilled some really good signings and a really good like they blend seem to blend together really well um, speaking of Carla Ward Ali our contract has been extended um, that's massive for her it's massive for the club as well yeah yeah I think she does a very good job but she just seems to get the sort of maximum out of whatever resources she has so obviously you saw the amazing job she did at Birmingham with sort of next to nothing and now you're seeing that at Villa but with real quality players and like I think this is the best we've probably ever seen Kenza Dali in the WSL she's been so so good this season I love trying to play um, and yeah the, the sort of the the calibre of players she's been able to attract as well really sort of speaks volumes to I think how highly regarded she is so yeah I think it's great for her and, and great for Villa. It's an example of a club committing to a manager and, mm. and seeing long term I think last season we were kind of worryingly going down the route of not giving managers enough time um, and maybe expectations being too high and expecting too much too quickly and I think Villa have done a good job of committing to Carla and her vision and we're seeing the fruits of that now. Yeah, um, actually Everton should be looking to do the same thing very, very soon because the job that Brian Sorensen has done there this season, the style of play, the, what I believe is going on in the dressing room now, it's just... Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was cancelled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It to be a very, very good place and a brilliant win for them. 3-0 over West Ham, Sophie. Yeah, I mean, as you say, in the Sorensen project, um, the serious identity coming through in that team, the possession-based football that they want to play, um, the young players that he's bringing out, you know, he's got a really, really good um, front three of young players uh, in Aggie Beaver Jones, Jess Park, Hannah Benison, yeah. um, and there for the future. And he's he's made some really shrewd signings. He hasn't made a lot of them, but the ones that he has made, he knows well. The Hongar twins, they're really exciting. Um, and Claire Wheeler, who's he worked with before and now made permanent. So he's quite shrewd in his his recruitment he knows the club won't put a lot of money into it so I think he's just done it really well um the two goals two aerial goals and then Aggie Beaver Jones getting her first WSL goal which she's one of English England's brightest young prospects and the fact that she's now showing it at WSL level for me is is just what she's about um I hope I hope she gets more minutes gets Mm -hmm. playing regularly because um that's what we need for young England players coming through they went through a lot last season and I think he's done a very good job of galvanising the mm-hmm. team. Um, I remember doing post-match with Everton towards the back end of last season 
and they'd lost to West Ham and the players were not in a good state in the dressing room. But I remember Izzy Christensen, she'd come out, she'd been in tears and I said, look, you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to. And she fronted up and was like, no, like, it's my job, like, this is important. And that's where the players' heads are at, like, towards the end of last season and now it's just, like, a completely different dressing room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I was, I'm sure it was one of you were as well, but on his first press conference, I think he said the word stability about ten times, which is just what they needed mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, after the, the season they had last last year. And yeah, like you say, it's just a real sort of identity and like it's the bare minimum, but they just look like a team now, which mm-hmm. is yeah, which is all down to him, I think. They're fo- focusing their manager sacking on the men's side this time, so at least <laughs> Brian Swanson hopefully is safe. He may get the job there. Yeah, <laughs> no, don't. We want to see no, him stay. Him here. Um, yeah, you have to give credit to the, the way that they're playing as well and how it's now returning on the, on that, the table. Um, they're starting to really creep up. So um, fair play to, to Everton. What a big change. West Ham, not the West Ham that I thought they were going to be. They've struggled. They, I think they hit the ground running at the start of the season and then they got found out a little bit, I think. Um, everyone knew that they'd start fast and if you didn't defend well against them in the first 20 minutes, you were pretty much toast because they'd, they'd run out and get two, three goals. Yeah. Um, they've lost a couple of players, um, which were interesting losses. Um, and Does it feel like a lot, Sophie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, the Kovac, that was really out of the blue that she left because she'd literally come in in the summer and she had been a really, really strong outlet for them down the left side. Um, and then she just disappeared um, back to Norway or somewhere, I think. Um, but then also people have figured out how to mark Dagny as well. And that's absolutely key. You keep her out of the game and that, that's West Ham's key aerial threat in the box as well. Um, so they need to do some work, I think, to figure out how their identity looks now mm-hmm. um, because they need to adjust to teams knowing what to do against them. Um, and they just they can have a really good game and then a really bad. It's just that inconsistency. Inconsistency, yeah. Uh, Ali, no WSL team of the week this week oh I did do one sorry I think I think Lindsay's missed it um, <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay <laughs> I put well, it was yeah it was very difficult I put Rachel Williams in there for a six minutes oh Rachel Williams we'll get that to you very very soon gosh Lindsay's going to give me the sack for saying that out loud um <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> hello in the comments um, to you guys who are joining us just now Harold saying greetings from Oslo off topic who's the best Norwegian in the league is it Guro Reiten yes, yes. Is, is Guro <laughs> yes. we already on that um, <laughs> yes please um, get into the comments now if you like and uh what you can do is uh, give us a like as well. That would be absolutely wonderful. Um, can we talk about Sarah Bjork Gunnar's Dotty and the maternity scandal, shall we call it? Um, she played for Leon, of course. She won the Champions League for Leon. She scored in that final. Uh, then she became pregnant and she stopped getting paid. Simple as that. Just pretty terrible. Yeah, I think I think there's you know there's been some arguments around the other stuff that has come out in terms of how it was handled and how it was communicated and what the FIFA ruling really said. But at the end of the day, the ruling determined that Leon had not paid her. So whatever whatever else really went on, the fact is you, you thought it was acceptable not to pay uh, a player while they're on maternity leave. And I think, you know, if you want to then make the whole thing about French law and, well, actually, we were allowed to do that kind of thing, it just doesn't make you look good as a club. It doesn't make you look invested in women as athletes um which is a shame because leon is such a front runner yeah. in so many areas um so you know around the other stuff that happened about 
how much conversations were had, how much communication was had, what was said to her when she came back, you know, is all going to be really he, what she said versus what they said, right? Um, and you're going to have fans of the club sticking up for the club and, and fans of her sticking up for her. End of the day, the, the ruling said she needed to be paid. And for me, that's the biggest gripe is mm-hmm. to do that to someone and to not com- communicate it, whether it's even communicated to her or not, I just think is, is just not a good look. We should be moving forward, not, not backwards. Yeah, the fact that you're holding back payment is just, for me, terrible. I just, I, it's inexcusable. Um, I just, a big club like Leon have for so long have paved the way in everything in, in the women's game. Um, to be found, you know, to have not paid someone up, up until their maternity leave. Um, I don't know how you can do that. And I also don't think there was this whole sort of orchestrated thing on the day the ruling was announced with Madri and Leon and how mm. supportive they were of her mm. pregnancy and how great it was to her to have her back and all of this stuff. And that's just really not a good look. It's so like, transparent what yeah. you're doing. It's just completely it's orchestrated, you know. So we, just... so we don't feel that was genuine? Well, oh, I'm sure it might have been, but you know what the timing is. You know exactly what you're doing, mm-hmm. putting it out when you're doing it, and it just lo- it stinks doing that. It just and then it you feel bad for the player then, who actually maybe there is a nice story there we could be telling, and instead you're trying to hide. Oh, just it so just the looked terrible. Supported, learned and supported her really well. Brilliant. But the fact that you release it on the night that Sarah's story comes out, um, I just it actually makes you look worse. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have the desired mm. impact. Mm. And it was very, very unusual. It felt like coming from the likes of Leon, and we know that Sonia Bonpastora has children. It was very clear um, ahead of the Chelsea game actually at Stamford Bridge in December. Um, and Mal Majeri coming in and having a baby with her, and everyone's so happy, and you know, having a baby around camp is quite a lovely thing. Uh, and getting to watch a player who she knows and trains become a mother was so special for her to see as well. Um, so it kind of it felt very. I was, I was blindsided with the whole thing because I remember leaving Stamford Bridge after that conversation going, well, that was so sweet. I mean, they'd, I might ask if they want to babysit my kids soon because they're all up for it, you know? So I, when I did read the story about Sarah Bjork, I thought, oh no, this is, this is absolutely not her experience whatsoever. And that's terrible for mm. a new mum or for mm. anybody who's pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And I think sort of coming off the back of the, the Emma McCundy thing that happened the week before, like I think Kelly Chambers spoke a lot about it being sort of, quite a you know it was the first time the club had experienced that and and all that and so that sort of kind of explained to a degree certain things that had happened at Reading but then yeah I mean this Leon's story is just complete yeah failing to play a player while they're pregnant isn't a little mistake that you'll sort of learn on the job that's just a complete failure of player welfare and mm. for like you say for a club like Leon who have sort of led the way and driven standards in the women's game it was just yeah it's pretty surprising and I appreciate that it hasn't happened a lot right so mm-hmm clubs are saying they're learning but it's just another example of being reactive mm. women have babies that's not new so, true, right? so why are we not thinking long we shouldn't have to wait until someone gets pregnant to be like how do we deal with this mm. like it's a very real possibility that a player could get pregnant and will want to keep playing afterwards let's figure out how that's going to work before rather than when you're in the middle of it mm. and it shouldn't be anymore that w- women have to have a choice between playing sport or having a baby the, te- the science is there to allow women to get fit really quickly after having a baby to come back and play top level sport, plenty whether of it's football or, or, or other mm. sports. Um, so the choice should no longer have to, well, it should never have been there in the first place, but the old choice that you used to have to either choose your sporting career or having a baby, it shouldn't be there anymore. Yeah. And the fact that we're still having this discussion is just crazy. Being an athlete is a job in the same way of any mm. other job. Putting your players into a dangerous situation, like playing on an icy pitch, is like you being put in a dangerous situation in any other job. It shouldn't happen. The same way that if you get pregnant in a job, 
behind a desk. <laughs> you should mm. be treated. Obviously, it's going to be different, but you should have the same rights if your job is to be an athlete. Mm. It still does feel like there's the element of sexism still in football, and that will continue for quite some time. Uh, but the good thing is, again, people are speaking up now. They're drawing attention to it. They will be heard, you know, and you yeah. will be shamed if you're out of order. Um, and Leon did not come off well from that at all. Uh, let's just focus quickly on transfers as well, uh, because we have been here together to speak about Mana Awabuchi and our move to Spurs. Go on, my girl. Yes. We can't wait to see her play. It's very exciting. Very, very exciting, Ali. Good move. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to just see her hopefully get regular minutes because she's such a, yeah, probably one of the most technically gifted players in the division and I think yeah her and Beth England both at Tottenham is sort of two players with a point to prove who I think it's exciting as well just for the whole league they're two players who are of I, I believe top four quality that are now moved to a club outside the top four so mm. it should yeah enhance the competitiveness of the division as well absolutely a move she deserved oh 100% and it gives Spurs a different dynamic as well a different level because in the past I think they were a little bit you know, be solid at the back, hard to break down, and, and when we get a chance up front, get it to Rachel Williams. I feel like they're trying to play more expansive football this season, but they've not had the players to finish the chances. Mm -hmm. Mana Iwabuchi gives them a whole different option, a whole different level. You can play up the wings or you can play through the middle with a such a technically gifted player. And you've got Beth England now, who's a lethal in the box, who's a, a you know, instinctive goal scorer and that's they're the kind of key things I think that we're missing to, to bring the team together so oh, she's, she's an absolute diamond of a player but also a diamond of a person I think so cute and um, you know she looks so miserable sitting she's on the bench so at sad. Arsenal so sad and you just wanted her to be free you know and she <laughs> free manner free, free manner but like doesn't to do what she loves on the pitch and express herself and she has that ability to be one of those players that can just all like you're just watching her in awe, um, and she deserves to be playing minutes every week. Um, I just can't wait to see her. I think we're very lucky that we've managed to keep her in the WSL. Yeah, mm. very right. And that, it, she could be a problem for Arsenal now, moving forward, you know, when that fixture comes back around. Uh, I definitely think Manama Bucci is going to be front and centre of what goes on, because now Arsenal's midfield, now these new players that they've brought in, um, cool, mm -hmm. and are we going to see them, do you think, more now that Jordan Nobbs is away? Kim Little and Leah Volti are the usual suspects in that situation. I think they'll give, be given game time to try and lift the load on the starters. Um, I think it always does take players a little bit of time to get into this league. It's very physical compared to a lot of other leagues. It's quite fast. Um, but yeah, we'll start seeing them. But I think it's for the future. And mm. I think the same with a lot of clubs. So we've seen Manchester United signings this week. They're not for this season. They're for okay. next season. They, they might help and they'll support in terms of giving them some depth and some options um, but it's very much looking to next season and beyond yeah I don't think those players are like reactions to Beth Mead and Miedema being out mm -hmm. I think they were probably on the cards and I think maybe Arsenal will still be looking for a potential either long-term or short-term replacement for those two yeah and Nessa said he wants a striker yeah mm -hmm. he's going to bring in Russo put it <laughs> out in the universe he will sign himself <laughs> it's got to be I mean <laughs> Uh, I, it's a, it, it makes perfect sense. You can tell like with Man Abubichi leaving, Jordan Nobbs leaving as well. They are slight athletes. They're the the, the signings that Jonas Edevald brought in are the physical. Yeah. Athlete, you know, they're, they're just the, and I mean that purely on based on you know their 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 strength and their their presence. Alessia Russo ticks all the boxes. Uh, and and again another player who had, like Mary Earps just hasn't wavered since the Euros. It wasn't this stroke of luck, you know, mm. on the big stage. Yeah. She's stepped up every single time. 
she would sit quite nicely, I think. And, you know, Stina Blackstenius, we were texting actually, weren't we? Because she hasn't been on form. I had you called for like... her to get a hat-trick against Brighton, so give it time. When that game gets rearranged, <laughs> it's going to happen. You're really manifesting yeah. for, for Stina. It's, uh, it's very good to hear. Can we talk about the, the three new signings who come into Manchester United? Estelle Cascarino. You hear Cascarino and you think, Delphine. it's Cascarino. <laughs> and that's terrible. You should never compare <laughs> twin sisters. Um, but it is um, the, the other Cascarino, Estelle Cascarino. <laughs> that is so terrible. That's not what I meant. Um, but it's not the France one who we saw representing. <laughs> the Euros the whole time. It's her, it's her sister, who's still an outstanding player, but a good addition, do you think, Ellie? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about her. I think she, she's a centre-back, isn't she? So I think potentially with, I think, Millie Turner and um, May Letizia have been brilliant this season, so just more strength and depth there. I think Millie Turner's contract's up at the end of the season, so potentially if... Mm. if I, I, I don't know if she's staying or going, but again... I think it's the same that they brought in a right back as well, and with with Ona Badge's contract as well, potentially, as you said, long term planning there. I think with with those two. Yeah, they're lying in their chest. I mean, they're they're predicting, they're they're acting as though they're going to get Champions League, which they should be doing. They shouldn't just kind of get it and then be like, okay, now we need to try and sign people. They need to be thinking long term, thinking we're challenging for the title. Never mind Champions League. We need a squad that can do that for us next season. We need to bed them in now, and not then be trying to play catch up in September by bringing new people in that can help us compete. So I think Polly Bancroft has probably had an impact in, in that longevity, mm. in that forward look thinking. Um, and I think both Riviera and um, Cascarino are those those players that are, are long term. I think mm. it's interesting how managers are using this window now. Um, Jonas used it last last yeah. year as a, a basis mm. for the preparation for the summer. <coughs> Carla Waters said in recent press conferences, you know, we've got our summer business done now. Um, so we're now looking to have the window ahead bedded mm. in. Um, and Mark said it at the weekend. Mark Skinner said it at the weekend too. He said, you know, last January we brought in really good people, but they weren't. They were probably a bit older and they weren't for the long term. And now we're actually thinking ahead. In terms of our recruitment, we're not thinking about the season. We're thinking to, for the next year, next two years, so that those players can be adjusted to life in England, the league, um, the training, the physicality, all of that, and be ready for the, the next, you know, two years where they really want to. They might get the trophy this season, but they really want to push on and get regularly up into that title chase every season. Mm. I think clubs have a bit more power in this transfer window. Normally. January transfer windows, it's hard to try and convince a player to leave a club mid-season mm. and come and join. Um, whereas now with the World Cup coming up, people need mm. minutes, they, they need to be performing. So there's always a little bit of a shift in, in power now. Carl Ward saying, you know, she's players knocking on her door rather than in the past probably having to really put, fight hard to, to get players in. So this January transfer window has been really interesting. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I just actually wanted to ask quickly because we did uh, a little guessing game as to who we thought was going to finish top three, didn't we? Do you think Manchester City dropping that point as they would see it against Aston Villa, puts Manchester United back up there again. I always had them up there. I think okay. so. Too, okay. Well. Okay. Fine. Just asking for a friend. I also, I also, <coughs> at the beginning, <coughs> predicted that Brighton would get relegated, not Leicester. Right. I and <laughs> last time I was on here, I predicted that Leicester would beat Brighton. Uh, and <laughs> okay. if you just want to know the table, Manchester United are sitting top. Leicester at the bottom. Brighton, um, just Brighton and Reading both on seven. Leicester on three. And Leicester of the game in hand on Reading. Mm. It's and Brighton, their their game. You know, I thought with them playing Arsenal, and I thought Leicester, which is it's a shame that the postponement because they were in such a good run of form. It was the perfect mm. time for them to play Spurs, yeah. and Spurs have now gotten it in Manu Abuchi and stuff. But yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Everton in fifth, 
Oofed. Um Well, that is that is absolutely great stuff for them. Uh, we're now without a couple of. Is it two weeks now without WSL games? So two we've weeks. Got, uh, well, we've got uh, quarterfinals today. Conti mm-hmm. Cup quarterfinals today, and then um, FA Cup at the weekend. Uh, you guys made a very prudent point when you come in. There are games today. Arsenal play tomorrow yeah. against Aston Villa, but they're going to do pitch inspections early, and yeah. they're going to make the decision there and then. Is that? Yeah. So Spurs are doing one at two, and yeah. Arsenal have said they're going to do one at twelve. And if the pitch is unplayable at twelve, the game will be postponed. Oh. Rather but than also, Arsenal also announced that they tried to move it to the Emirates, mm-hmm. and I thought that's really shrewd. Shrewd thinking on on the part of the club. They've watched what's gone on at the weekend. All of the the stuff around, drama around it, the discussions around it, and they've gone, let's step up here and make it easier for the fans. Um, yes, it's player safety comes first, paramount, but also, you know, Aston Villa vans coming down tomorrow, they're going to leave around yeah. midday, so um, make make sure that they know what's going on and what, what the options are. It's a very good point. When you say that they have requested for that to happen, do we know if it still might happen? No, or so there's, there's like, uh, much, like apparently much needed groundworks that have to happen at the Emirates and it's not possible for it to be at the Emirates, but they tried, or so okay. they say. Well, good, <laughs> good. Trying is better than not. Uh, like we say, 31st of January, 5 o'clock, the window closes. It's the WSL deadline. Ali, do you know anything? Anything we need to know what might happen? <laughs> Before that window slams shut, Philips sealed. But <sighs> no, I, th- I think Leicester have spoken about essentially bringing more players in. I think it's a big window for them and Willie Kirk. And yeah, as we said, I do think that they're they were probably one of the teams most hard done by the mm. postponements this weekend in terms of I think it's three weeks between their their last game and then when they next play in the WSL. So which is, that's a shame. And it's Man City as well. So you think oh god, it's. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. There might something might get rearranged <laughs> in between. Mm-hmm. I think Reading want to bring in a couple on loan. Mm. And Arsenal. I don't know who, but um, they certainly won't need more numbers on the bench more than anything. Um, just in terms of having to call on academy players to fill up the numbers um, is not always ideal. I don't think just throwing them in the deep mm. end. Some of them have done really well. Don't get me wrong. Emma Harris and Tia Prima been stars of the season so far. Um, Emma Harris obviously already established, but. I think they want to steer away from trying to have to rely on, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds in those big games against your Uniteds and your, your Chelsea's to fill up the numbers. Yeah, don't be surprised if you see more movement. I think there will be a few more signings for sure. Do you know something? I don't know something. No. <laughs> Do I, you know something? I don't, I don't know anything. Nobody talks People to me. People who laugh and look down know something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> Uh, lots of you in our comments, which is absolutely lovely. Uh, greetings, says Remy. Uh, also, hi to Pessy and Penaldo. Uh, Lauren James for the Ballon d'Or. I have to say, she's been just wonderful to watch over the last wee while. We know that talent's there, but Emma Hayes is bringing out the next level, mm-hmm. isn't she? Yeah. A joy to watch. Uh, anything else anyone would like to table um, before we finish up? Any, any thoughts? Anything? Not particularly. Anything anyone would like to share? God, no. what do you know? <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't know I was just trying to make everyone feel awkward. Job um, done. Yeah, um, Remy said, any thoughts on when that game was cancelled will be played? Um, uh, that's the thing. We've got I'd, all of these things to sort I'd say out. Chelsea want it done and dusted as soon as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, so there is a gap next week, but I think it depends on what happens tonight because I want the cup, cup games to be done um, first. Is there a gap next week? I can't remember. Um, and then I guess it's just finding a midweek. 
I see. That's mm. free because there's no weekends that are free from now yeah. until. Yeah, Champ- Champions League is March, isn't it? So yeah. yeah, so it's I probably trying to get Yeah, yeah. there's an international break window oh, in that yeah. in that February as well. Very much so hoping we don't see any badness happen between that time and everyone stays fit. Um, hi to Musica as well. I'm proud to be Geordie. Do Newcastle have a women's team? Yes, <laughs> yes, they, they do. do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're in the fourth tier at the moment. Um, and they sold what twenty eight thousand at St James's yeah, Park. Yeah. So yeah. They've, got, they've got big ambitions um, to move up through the d- the divisions. Um, they've signed some really good players as well from ar- in and around the WNL. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pushing for promotion this season. I think they're sitting second at the moment, or in touch of of promotion. So we'll see what happens. Sophie knows everything. <laughs> I always say this. Uh, Sophie, Rachel from Girls on the Ball, Ali Rampton from Ninety Men. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching. Like, by the way, now if you haven't already, please leave a comment and subscribe as ever and have a lovely day. See you soon.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.